L. And that's my best friend, Lee. Oh, is that the wrong color? Oh. We've been besties since the day we were born. How have we stayed so close? We have a set of rules. Like rule number two, never tell anyone else our secrets. Or rule number nine, Lee's older brother Flynn, he's stupid hot, but totally off limits. When did you get the boobs? Oh, and rule number 10, <laughs> never ever break rule number nine. What an ass. I know. You got a little bit of drool right there in the corner. Right yeah, yeah, you, Do I really? Yeah, you, <laughs> Okay, the student council is expecting our idea for the fundraiser today. About a ride. Where's your car? What? I'm not gonna get on that thing like one of your makeout girls. They don't all make out with me. Okay, so like 95% of them make out with me. Come all, it's another episode of the Kicking and Streaming Podcast. Welcome once again. I am your host, Johnny Lake, uh, and sitting across from me is Kevin Hill, my good friend and a co-host of the Kicking and Streaming Podcast. Kevin, how are you feeling? What's up? Man, we are doing this late at night, and I gotta say... This is the late, this is the most recent late recording we've done. Yes, we are busy people with busy lives. And you're a tired little boy. I'm a tired boy. <laughs> I need my 12 hours of beauty rest. Jesus. And I... What are you? What do you think... Are you a Prussian princess? I, I am a Prussian princess, and, you know, I wake up for dinner and then go to sleep. <laughs> and then I, you know, drink and sex my way to a death in my early 50s. 50s? Wow, you're really giving them some. Well, Prussia. Some when years. did Prussia stop existing? Uh, World War One, when the Kaiser came around. Right. Or was it maybe, Germany maybe. before that? Man, history. Am I right? <laughs> See, I was thinking like kind of fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth century Prussia. Uh Is Prussia even a thing back then? Probably not. Right. It was probably. I'm not really up to snuff. Wasn't the Holy Roman Empire? Middle East. Uh, sorry, not Middle Eastern. Like European Middle Ages sort of Renaissance. Renaissance. What? You know, there was shit going down in Italy and Belgium, and in between, you're just like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And then Spain was Catholic for a while, and then the Moors conquered it for a while yeah, and then that, the Catholics like the took it back and then the Spanish Inquisition which no one expects the Spanish Inquisition the position Inquisition they were in <laughs> the condition how did we get of the here? Inquisition <laughs> and this is pretty edition. grim <laughs> it is grim just like the 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 near future <laughs> of this podcast episode is that is that a gen- generic future prediction or <laughs> Well, should we go to a psychic and <laughs> what can you tell us? I was about talking our just like near short term, oh. <laughs> both because we're just already off the rails and because our subject matter, at least to begin, is really not that engaging. The kissing booth. The kissing booth. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it might have, it might be the worst movie we watched. No, it's yes. not. It's yes. not. But it wasn't fun like other. It wasn't a good bad movie it was a bad bad movie but it was not as bad as um i keep thinking nick and Nora's infinite playlist but it's the naomi 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 eli's no kiss how dare you disparage our first time so heavily (laughs) how dare you every time i talk about my first time it's not with reverence Mm -hmm. at least my first time with you kevin Mm -hmm. um it's with regret and sadness 
<laughs> you know, which is what I had walking out of Naomi Eli's No Kiss List. I think that is certainly... I mean, it depends on the criteria you're talking about. Like, if you're talking about, like, most enjoyable, if you're grading it on, like, like a most enjoyable scale, then I think Naomi and Eli's No Kiss List was at the worst. But, like, you could make an argument to say that The Toxic Avenger was the worst movie we watched so far, which it's not. Neither you or I think that. Both of us, I think, put it near the top of the shit heap of movies that we've watched over the course of this podcast that we're doing. Yeah, I mean, Spiders is... Spiders is worse than than The Kissing Booth. I don't know if it is. It is. It is. Cowboys versus it, Dinosaurs? That's uh, that's also worse. Okay, here's my argument for The Kissing Booth. The Why Kissing I think Booth it's just, had it's, nothing to make it comically bad. But this movie, this movie felt like if someone in high school... I hate that you're making me sp- defend this movie right now. Well, I, I know you're you're like this is a four out of ten. I'm like this is a. It's one not out a four ten. out of ten. It's like a two and a half out of ten, maybe. Yeah, and yet <laughs> because but I'm lower than I, a two and a half. Yeah, I, you were making me do this. Anyway, dude, continue. I'm sorry, dude, I man, interrupted you. No, we you. can just we can just go back to bashing it. I just felt like this was a movie that, if someone in high school was like, I want to make a movie and get all my friends together, and then their rich dad gave them five million dollars and like the. CEO of the dad's company's house to use for a weekend. <laughs> this movie felt like fan fiction for a series that I had never read before. It it it, it didn't add anything. It didn't artistically try to be anything. And it felt like the people on set and the actors were having so much fun. And the fact that I was having so little fun <laughs> during the movie... Tur- I turned. So you, you hurt. You saw the transformation of me. You would listen to it. I you was saw right it. there along with you. I, I and and you. What you're referring to is the the outtakes or the cutscenes at the end. At the yes. end that show a really fun and enjoyable movie making experience, which didn't get translated to the movie itself. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I always believe the rule that the more fun it was for the cast and crew to make the movie, the less fun it is for the audience to watch it. I don't think that that uh, is necessarily uh, true 100% of the time. Because it's true with a lot with comedies a lot of the time, but not 100% for sure. But don't you look at movies like the Oceans movies and say, shit, that must have been a lot of fun to film. And I'm not saying that those are Oscar-winning movies. Yeah, but, but but the Oceans films and the credits don't end with like outtakes and them all going like... Ah, 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 ah. The fact that the outtakes looked like like the crazed minds of like people who had no self-control with their acting ability and the fact that they just seemed to be You're goofing around it's just it it made me go like wow oh, you guys had a really great time Maybe and there was it was only like a half committal to outtakes too cuz like they were quote unquote outtakes but like mm-hmm. a lot of them were just like alternate scenes mm-hmm. that sort of achieved the same story progression and yeah. emotional tone of their the scenes that actually made it to the cut of the movie which but showed the director like probably didn't have any control of the actors right and not control that's might not be the best word but like the actor was or the director was kind of it seems like just letting the kids have free reign right and i actually want to go back to something you said before you said it sounded it, it, it felt to you like a little bit of a fanfic thing oh yeah and i told you that i would do a little bit of research into the production of this movie, the writing, and all right, I did this ten minutes before you before you uh, got home from work today. Well, I wouldn't so, expect any deeper <laughs> of a research dive. This um, this script was started in June 2014 by Vince Marcello. Um, was hired to write a film adaptation of teenage author. Beth Reekles. She is the original writer of the book, The Kissing Booth. And when so you say teenage author, do you mean... I, I, I mean that the author is a teenager. Okay. <laughs> and, okay, but let's... Let's let, let's first off say that uh, Look, Beth teenager- Reekles, as a teenager, wrote a book 
that's nothing to scoff at. Yeah, whether yeah, look, or not, teenagers can write books, and, and and I imagine the book is different than this. I'm not. No offense. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but I'm. Oh, not I don't say, know if the book is that much different. Uh, well, let, let's give a little credit to Beth. Okay, so it was, um, it was written by Beth Reekles. And it was originally published on a website called Wattpad, which Wikipedia defines as a community for readers and writers to publish new user-generated stories in different genres, including classics, general fiction, historical fiction, nonfiction, poetry, fan fiction, spiritual, humor, and teen fiction. Wow, that's that's some pretty cr- tight criteria to yeah. post on Wattpad. 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 Kilowatt hours. Wattpad. Wow. So okay, you were so, you were so, spot on. So, so Simon you, so you Schuster, you literally Penguin. you said a teen wrote it, and then it was fanfic, and and you were one hundred percent correct. So it was fanfic to no I, well, book I, series. I, I, I don't know if it was. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if it was fanfic to a, a different series or or what Beth's Beth Reekles, Mrs. Reekles, um inspiration was, but. Your your perception of the movie and how it was conceived and and what it is and what kind of story it tells it is one hundred percent a fanfic sort of teen. It's a teen drama book, and that's what you get out of it. If you want to have like a, a a dumb, thoughtless date night movie, cutesy with your your boyfriend or girlfriend or partner or Somebody you love. This is a decent movie for that. Okay. So I've heard that argument. It's so from someone else who's so, seen this movie. It's so surface level. There is yeah. nothing more to it. A yeah, part of me appreciates I don't accept, that. I, and, and I've said before on the show, on our show, our podcast, with the movies, that I appreciate something more that's going for it, instead of just being that dead line base level like never Kevin, trying I think to you achieve need to revise anything. your expectations i think you're fu- coming into this fundamentally over expecting shots at the moon oh well i'm expecting shots at the moon but the the rocket poo poos in the stratosphere and then falls down that's what i want to see this is they were like well what's the point in shooting off a rocket when we can go film you know, <laughs> I don't know. Like, American Beauty wasn't a rocket shooting off into the sky. What are you talking about, American Beauty? Does does a bad movie have to take a crazy shot and either kind of succeed or completely fail at it to to be a net positive experience? Yes, filmmaking takes guts. It takes. You're creating art, basically, and if okay, you, if all right, all right. That, uh, I don't want to jump down that rabbit hole because I, I'm, I'm, I guarantee I agree with ninety percent of the things you're about to go off on. Okay, but what's the My, my, <laughs> I don't know. My, my point is that I, I think you need to set a lower bar because that's what I do for myself, and I still find myself defending this movie because you're taking up arms against it, and I don't want to because it is a bad movie. And it wasn't enjoyable to sit here and watch it, despite you and I hanging out and and roasting it together. I had, I had fun roasting it. Yeah, it was it was it was fine. We did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I I don't really know if there's a lot more to say about the movie. You and I. What are some What are some shiny moments? Okay, what are some moments? Okay, that's that you that's liked true. or or not even liked, what, but just what, stuck with you. You and I watched the trailer again right mm-hmm. before we started recording. And one thing I remembered and noticed, one was that is the enormous house and how ridiculous it was and how you and I were guessing like how that worked, how they rented that for the for the weekend or for the week or whatever it was and how much it cost them. Yeah. And we could go down a huge rabbit hole for that. But then I also thought about the fact that just like all the male characters in the story, when confronted with problems, would just hop in their expensive vehicle and and drive away. <laughs> like Noah and Lee would just either get in their cool. Noah would get in the motorcycle, and Noah Lee would get in his convertible and Lee car. Would get on his awesome must like seventies Mustang convertible. There was a kid in my high school who had a Mustang convertible that him and his dad had spent uh, a summer rebuilding so that he could drive it to school every day i remember the kid i'm not gonna say his name 
that, and, that was the express purpose of that car. Well, it was like we're rebuilding this car together, and I'm passing it down to you, and you're going to be able to drive to school. Okay, that's cute. And yet, our class and at my high school still was like, fuck you. <laughs> Because we're all driving in our 90s Honda Accords and our Pontiac Grand Ams and like... My first car was a 93 Mercedes 400E, which I think is not ideal, but I thought it was the coolest fucking thing ever. I mean, it's a Mercedes, but it's like an older Mercedes, so yeah. it's like... It's it's still cool, but it's, it, it'd be an acceptable high school car. student car. I'm saying there's cars that are not acceptable for a high school... Students and, and, you and young drivers you to think be driving. A, a blue Mustang convertible with a white racing stripe down the middle is probably not. It's probably no. not in that Venn no. diagram of appropriate for high schoolers. <laughs> no, it's outside the Venn diagram. Like, do you remember watching uh, My Sweet Sixteen? Uh, or Sweet Sixteen, or what was it called? The MTV show. Oh, uh, yeah. Sweet. I'm pretty sure it was just called Sweet Sixteen. Sweet Sixteen. Yeah. Do you remember that they would always get the car? And they would always get a car. They would always get a car. And it was always like, you would always be like, fuck, fudge you. (laughs) Oh, God. You know, like the lavish party that costs $125,000 is fine. But when the car comes out, you're just like, I hate this kid. I hate this family. Yeah. It was a status symbol in high school. Yeah. And the fact that like... I think that was one of my problems, too, is this movie never really acknowledged that these were all preppy, rich kids. Yeah, and uh, they all just, obscenely they, they rich all kids act, living in Hollywood. They all acted obnoxiously. They all um, never consulted with their parents or really had any relationship with their parents. The, the parents were not at they all They appeared the to never study, and they also appeared to do things at their high school with no repercussions, such as sexual assault, uh, physical fistfights, uh, paint paint fights in the art room that yeah. would probably just ruin the art room. Yeah, and be you a just huge get, mess for you, a janitor. You get like a minimum three day like school suspension. And I think for doing that at my high school. I think the fact that that Fucking movie relished in that like, uh, just like capitalism bourgeois like rich kid preppy lifestyle. On top of the news week we had last week. It, it just turned me into just like, like a communist parent. It's just like, you should not, you should not be living this life. You should be working at a, uh, you know, burger stand. You should I be think. working at a Pack Sun or a Hot Topic, <coughs> or you should be working at a, uh, you know, ice cream parlor. There you go. Earning nine dollars an hour, and just getting in a pass down. Honda and driving that to school. I don't know. I ain't paying I, I for private school there. for my kids. I ain't doing that. No, me neither. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, even if I had the money to, I probably wouldn't. I'm never, I, I never, I'm not going to be the type of dad that like tricks my kid, like pulls up in a Corvette and it's like, nope, this is for me, sucker. <laughs> like on his <laughs> birthday or something. I'll never be that, but I, I won't. Like ever, I th- so I th- you're gonna flaunt your wealth to your kids and then not let them reap any of the benefits of it. I won't flaunt my wealth, but I'll be like, you get this when I die. <laughs> <laughs> when I die, you get it. All right. That's when your kids start thinking about how you might die. Is that when they push me down the stairs? That might be when you may push you down <laughs> I the think stairs. That's when you have like a small injury that makes it so you're a little less mobile, and mm-hmm. then. A random toy just appears right in front of the stairs. They every Menendez morning. brothers me. Yeah, I don't know the I don't know the story of the Menendez brothers. Oh, they killed their dad, their rich ah. dad. Mm. That's awful. That's mm-hmm. what's going to happen to you. And they're going to dress my thirty-two-year-old kids to make them look like they're eighteen. That's a deep cut to the <laughs> Menendez trial. <laughs> they wanted to make them look even younger. Yeah, they they purposely dressed them up to make them look like they were eighteen, but they were like bearded twenty-six-year-old men. Bold strategy, Cotton. Did it pay off? Uh, I don't want to spoil it, man. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'm not going to watch it, but whatever. It's a good Wikipedia dive. With this tangent, let us move on from the kissing booth. 
Well, final, final, final thoughts. On final the thoughts and final rating. You go. Should we try to say one positive thing about it? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do one. Positive do you have a thing. positive thing about it? You can say. I thought it was cute at times. It was actually endearing at times. And I give it a two. A two hearts out of ten. And you, Kevin? Joey King's not a bad actress. And I think she does have, like, star potential. Joey King is the lead, L. Yeah. She can be charming at times. But that's it. You know who was good in this? Who? Kind of came out of nowhere. Molly Ringwald. So great in this. She had a she had a great little monologue with the daughter. A little in and out monologue. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nah, I was joking. I didn't like Molly Ringwald in this. We just said we would say one positive thing about I said a positive thing. We didn't say we wouldn't say another <laughs> negative thing. That's give me true. your positive thing and then and, and I then just said Joey rating. King was fine. She was fine. Oh, okay. She was and fine. And I, your rating I, is I, one, I, one. If I see her, in, like the movie didn't make me be like, if I see Joey, I refuse, I'm going to boycott Joey King movies in the future. Are you boycotting all Miley movies in the future? I don't think there's going to be many Miley movies in the future that I need to boycott. So Might be some interesting conceptual docu-series type things. Who knows? Let's not rule it out. All right. Your rating is how many? One out of ten. One what? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know. One douchebag at the beach party out of ten douchebags at the beach party. <laughs> well said. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> oh, I hated it. Uh, it's, 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 <laughs> when, when we when we I will say this when we do when we do. A eventually an NCAA tournament style bracketology of the movies we've watched. This is definitely going to be either a number two or it's number gonna, one. Gonna, it's going to have me. to be like a three part, like hour and a half each. Like just me and you sitting in a room yeah. with coffee and computers and cigarettes and just getting angry at each other and yelling into microphones about bad movies for like four and a half yeah. hours. We're going to do it like uh, the ESPN. Uh, <laughs> anchors when they used to interview President Obama. Oh yeah, but it's, like it's you said, it's board. gonna be it's gonna be with alcohol and cigarettes, <laughs> and we're just gonna be like, "How dare you not appreciate Space Buddies?" You know, Kevin, I really don't think we're appreciating just the 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 star potential and the gravity of the Meg. <laughs> you know, it came out. It's it's been all eyeballs on the Meg for its entire life. It's really handled the pressure pretty well. Jason Statham is just an established actor, and there's really no wrong he can do in my book. But I still think it's going to have to lose to Space Buddies. <laughs> Do you know where you are right now? I'm in a drug trial. What do you think is wrong with you? I'm sick. But I don't matter. What would you say this trial is showing you about yourself? Is this therapy now? It's not therapy. It's science. Once you begin to appreciate the structure of the mind, there's no reason to believe that anything about us can't be changed. Pain can be destroyed. The mind can be solved.
How many of your subjects have ended up catatonic? Zero. Roughly. My head doesn't work right. I thought maybe these people could fix me. Sounds stupid. That doesn't sound stupid to me. Okay, people, let's begin. In five, four, three, two, one. My mind is playing tricks. reality brain magic shit i don't know what's real and what's not something's wrong what did you do come on wake up every time i separate them they just find their way back together you're not protecting those people in there You and I binged very quickly through another Netflix series. Netflix just keep churning out, keeps churning out these really interesting um, like limited series or short series by talented TV makers and movie makers. We watched Maniac mm-hmm. starring Jonah Hill, Emma Stone, uh, written and created by Patrick Somerville. And co-created with by uh, the, its director. Yes, and, and co-created and directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga, mm-hmm. who I'm a big fan of. I know you watched The Leftovers, and Patrick Somerville was a writer and producer of The Leftovers. There's a little bit of that vibe from what I've heard and read that gets carried over into Maniac, but I think that's among so many different inspirations and sort of uh, franchises that Maniac draws on to tell its story. Why don't, why don't you, um, what did you like about it? What kind of hooked you onto it at first? Uh, tell us what you feel about it. Well, it, it, it's, it was kind of hard to ignore the show the weekend it came out. Uh, it had Emma Stone and Jonah Hill, who are obviously movie stars. Right. You know, they're huge movie stars coming from, as you know, seeing Seth and Jules again on screen was great. Uh, this felt, the weekend it came out, at least for us, like uh, a really big event from a really, you know, very well-known and very artistic and very, uh, you know, passionate and... Uh, now going to be directing the next James Bond film mm-hmm. director, Carrie Joji right. Fukunaya. Uh, it it really was a, something different compared to what we're usually getting, com- compared to kind of what else is coming out there. Yeah. Uh, I feel like a lot of the television shows that are coming out now are trying to be more grounded and more realistic than the, you know... And do kind of like minutia in like mm-hmm. an interesting way and like look at things in a different way. But this is looking at like just totally different stuff and is kind of telling s- stories in a a very yeah. different way than we ever really see on TV. Yeah, this is like in there with like Legion and The Leftovers. Yep. Uh, kind of those wacky zany shows. And then kind of your opposite corner would probably be something like Homeland. Uh, something Breaking like Bad. Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, The Americans. Mad we, Men. Mad Men, yeah, exactly. We kind of have this sharp divide of, you know, world building that you see in like The Handmaid's Tale or, you know, or you see in The Leftovers and you see in Maniac. And and all the, the shows that we've listed so far that we're calling ve- almost opposite or like very differing or diverging from Maniac. All very great shows that we both really love a lot. Mm-hmm. It's just that what drew us into Maniac, besides kind of the 
all over the place, you know, typical Netflix marketing in like the week leading up to it was that it just seemed different. Mm -hmm. But also I think its tone right from the beginning seemed like familiar and, and comfortable in -hmm. a way it, it does. I've I've read a little bit uh, on the reddits and the internets and the Twitters um, what I believe is that we're, we're terming now retro futurism. Yeah, it, it had a very much an 80s uh, design and look and feel with the technology, with kind of like the advertisements uh, up around New York mm-hmm. of kind of the outfits that people wore. Uh, but it had like the uh, artificial intelligence and you know, companies and... Just, like, technology seamlessly being a part of your live yeah. life, like we like we seem to, you know... It's kind of like in Star Wars, the new Star forward. Wars, where a lot of the, s- like, the tech on the ships looks like the original trilogy technology. Yeah. Like computers and knobs and whatnot, but, you know, it's set in the future, future in a galaxy far, far away. Mm-hmm. Though it says a long time ago. And and just to kind of, for anyone who hasn't seen much press for Maniac or hasn't watched like a preview for it yet, just to kind of give you a sense, um, Jonah Hill and Emma Stone are both people that live in New York that get um, involved in a drug trial uh, for this drug called ULP. Mm -hmm. And that's really not giving away a lot in the, the, like the first episode just tells uh, Jonah Hill, Owen Milgram is his character's name, his story of kind of how he gets into this trial. And then it's it's cool that the second episode basically tells Annie's story, Annie mm-hmm. Landsberg, played by Emma Stone. That's not really spoiling anything. You can watch it yourself. You, you'll get into the episode when, when you start watching it, and it's immediately super disorienting. Um, I was very confused just in like the first five minutes. It doesn't tell you a lot. It kind of it it relies on showing you and and you paying attention and figuring things out as mm-hmm. you go and just seeing how the world kind of works. Um, and that was awesome and ex- it, it's like exciting to do on in like a new sort of media property um, that you know is going to be good. Because mm-hmm. I I had that faith going into Maniac that it was going to be really good, so like not really knowing how to watch it at first is super awesome. I really li- enjoy that in in starting new television shows. Um, so it just follows these two characters into this drug trial, and both of them kind of struggle with um, mental illness or substance dependency in their own way, and. And I think the show does a really good job of portraying that without making it seem glorified or uh, without making these people seem like they're less than human. Mm-hmm. They're both really awesome characters that you you come to love over the course of all ten episodes. And um, yeah, I don't I don't really want to talk too much more about what happens uh, in the show. Once you, I think you kind of get a sense of what it is in the first. Definitely, like, the first three episodes. Mm -hmm. And then the show kind of starts to do different things and tell stories in different ways from then on, kind of once it sets the table. Um, It's the the There's a really awesome supporting cast. Um, We mentioned that the creator, Patrick Somerville, worked on The Leftovers. Um, Justin Theroux is the star of The Leftovers, correct? Yeah. You could you could say that. So, uh, Justin Theroux is a very interesting supporting character. Sonoya Mizuno, who was in um, Ex Machina, Ex Machina um, which I believe is another Somerville. Um, I think I think project. that Alex Garland. Oh, you're right. Actually, mm. um, is he another writer on the show? No, he's doing his own thing, but uh, that actress is going to be in his television show coming up. Okay, that makes sense, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Sonoya Mizuno, uh, very awesome and uh, funny um I think the winner described character. her as like... She's a comic character. Yeah, an anime character. An anime character to life. brought to life, yeah. I think, I think one of the fun things with... The Justin Thoreau and uh, remind me the name again. I'm sorry. Uh, Sonoya Mizuno. Sonoya Mizuno. Yeah. 
is they kind of play opposites of each other, like like of what we expect from them. Like Sonoya Mizuno, she purposefully slouches. She pers- purposefully uh, smokes a ton of cigarettes. She's just brooding yeah. and and like low cast gaze, mm-hmm. like for most of the show. Yeah, and Justin Thoreau, who kind of played the you know tough alpha guy on leftovers it's just like super serious guy complete opposite it's just kind of like a pathetic you know like issues with his mother uh type of like beta male yeah you know goof goofball interesting character study in its own right and it was it was fun to see those two and those two are kind of like especially in the middle episodes and you know second act they're kind they kind of steal the show with uh just portraying these just goofy characters which at first viewing they seem bumbling at first yes but the se- the second viewing which i i watched some of the middle episodes again th- it really comes off as pretty funny and it really comes off as like it really hits on like a west anderson comedic uh you know level without being too you know uh, just it like doesn't have to acknowledge the jokes. Yeah. It doesn't have to set them up, and it's more about kind of the characters and how they interact with each other than like necessarily what they're saying. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, you mentioned m- mother problems with uh, the the Justin Theroux character, Doctor Mantle Ray, which mm-hmm. is a hilarious name just on its own. Uh, his mother is played by Sally Field, who makes an entrance at some point in the second act, near the end of the second act, perhaps, um, and who also... Uh, I'll get there. Sally Field uh, plays kind of a very... like, smarmy, maybe? Mm-hmm. She enters the movie in, in a position of power over her son, um, not in a weird way, um, and it's just awkward. And and they play those characters so well, and all the characters as doctors and, uh, you know, like, administering the study, the interactions they have with, with each other are really great, um, which is, like, always plays as a good break from kind of the story about our main characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sally Field also just briefly plays a... She portrays the the artificial intelligence of a computer that is helping to administer this, this drug trial on, yeah. onto these participants. And that scene is super weird and trippy. Um, it, it's a, it's a really great cast and it's really, really super well written. And, um, and the, the, the way, uh, the directing and the way this story is, is told is super, super engaging and super engrossing. So it really hits on all bases. It's like, I, I think this show is great. I haven't done much research into what their deal is with a second season. I don't think there should be one, and I don't think there will be one. No? No. I it's It, it it's, stands it's, on its own it's, at, at the end. It's one of those things where it's a mixture of also like with like Sharp Objects, which I watched, and people saying they want a second season of Sharp Objects. Like the story's done. The story's over. Yeah. We don't need a second season of that. It's like how like they're doing a second season of Big Little Lies, and it's like, well, the story's over. I don't know why you're going to do that. Oh, wait, Meryl Streep's uh, in the second season. All right, fine, do whatever you want. <laughs> this is like you have to kind of build on what you had, and you had uh, you know, a very, very, very uh, visionary and uh, particular director's vision mixed in with you know some kind of mixture of uh, movie thematic and televisual writing and you have the star power that you had. It's hard to see that coming I just want to say real quick, let's let's do a section where we talk about like all the different kind of titles or directors or um, like movies that we kind of saw inspiration of in this. But if you have anything else to say. Let's just do it quickly back and forth. I mean, this this is a mixture of Say uh, say one thing. Japanese anime. That's, I didn't th- think you were gonna say that first, but that's, uh, um, like Kubrick and like two thousand one A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely Inception. 
Yeah, I was going to say um, I'm blanking right now on the director of Inception. Christopher Chris Nolan. Nolan. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. Nolan-esque. Um, what else? It's it's like, and I don't know if it's just because it's on Netflix that it makes me think this, but it feels like Black Mirror-y, which is also kind of in like the setting mm-hmm. that we talked about, the retrofuturism. Um, yeah. What else? Uh, I definitely picked up on kind of just like that uh a mixture of like blade runner oh a mixture of those like future i I mean blade runner is a bit of future that is backwards uh it's also kind of you know like a a, the real world is not looking so great yeah uh and that's just reminded me of that especially when you get into like the advertisements and the uh that we saw in like blade runner 2049 yeah definitely that you see throughout uh the show and how humans treat humans and how, uh, uh, yeah. I'm trying to think what else. Um, I even got a little bit of, uh, the graduate vibes of like the graduate. I uh, mean the final shot the with fi- uh, the finale. Definitely. Very, very, very. Yeah. Do you think that, um, you, uh, should we say, let's just say the next five minutes, we're going to get into a little spoilers. Okay. So you want to start a clock on us or something? Yeah, I've, I've, I've got, I've got the clock. So on skip us. ahead five minutes if you don't want to do spoilers. Um, a couple of things I wanted to ask you, did you appreciate that kind of, uh, Owen and, uh, Annie didn't, uh, get to the bone zone. They just kind of was more about being friends and making a connection or. Yeah, I think yeah. I really appreciated that. I think uh I don't know that it would have made me not l- like the story as much if they mm-hmm. had, you know, had sex or become lovers or whatever. Um but I enjoyed that they just developed a real strong platonic connection going through the experiences that they did. Mm-hmm. And I think um both characters played well by Jonah Hill and Emma Stone. It just felt that felt like it made sense after like the journey we went through with them. So you, you didn't find the ending to kind of feel like a tone shift or overly sentimental. Cause I did see a lot of criticism for that, um, on certain reviews. I mean, it was a little bit sentimental because it was the entire, no, I thought it was earned. Mm -hmm. Um, the entire rest of the show is either kind of showing the downs and lows before deciding to sign up for a drug trial and then being in the drug trial, which is, you know, like disorienting and um, like misleading, but also like kind of brings you low, but then shows you, nice highs kind of we see with these two characters like continuing to show up kind of in the same place yeah in these like guided trips or whatever you want to call them um as they grow through the phases of the trial i i felt like it was earned and yeah i i think i really liked i think the last episode like stuck out to me i think in the second half of the season i think there was like a slight kind of dip in the experience of watching the episodes probably around like five and six. Yeah. I I wasn't the biggest fan of the Long Island and then the, uh, the like, uh, not seance mansion missions to say. I, I really loved the Long Island episode, which I think was four. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was up there for me. In the top episodes of the season. Yeah, that one was better than the seance. Oh, and uh, this just came to me, but I just wanted to talk about the uh, that one quick sort of Easter egg that uh, Carrie Joji Fukunaga put in there from True Detective, which oh. I noticed right away and, and told you. It's the big hug mug in the final episode when they're doing prep for the trial before Owen is going to go on the stand, and he's... Um, his older brother, Jed, is sitting there using the big hug mug that Russ Cole ashed into while he was being interviewed 
um, in True Detective in season one, and that stuck out to me right away. And I was like, hmm, okay, Carrie Joji, Carrie Joji Fukunaga is like a little bit winky, like mm-hmm. not just an extremely talented and like inspired director and filmmaker, but also a little bit like, okay, check this out, you know. Sorry, I just I had to do that. No, are we at our five minute mark? No, we've still got another minute left. I I I think one thing was I struggled with what the missions and what the uh, you know worlds let's say they went into meant for their characters in the real world, and it kind of felt more earned when we got to the NATO episode because I was like, okay, these are why these characters are acting this way in that world, and this is what they're trying to get through and figure out. You but didn't you didn't feel like that with the in the Long Island episode? Like you didn't you didn't feel like there was these characters that just made sense to you? Like they were they were also their pre existing characters back in the real world, but then like these lives that they inhabited in Long Island didn't that didn't grab you? Cause it I did don't think, for I me. don't know if it didn't grab me. I just I wasn't I don't know if I was really comprehending it. And I don't think I a cheat. I I think I had a problem with the path that led to the conclusion. Uh, I don't think I fully understood it. Maybe I have to go back and watch. But uh, by the end, I realized, okay, this is where we're getting to with the drug trial and what it means for these characters. Mm-hmm. But I maybe in the beginning, I don't know if it needs to be more clear to me or if it kind of needs to have been more inventive, but I wasn't really getting it until about the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth episode. That the UN episode with Snorri and mm-hmm. Emma Stone as some kind of CIA operative, that was. Oh, I mean, we can kind of say like that was straight out of Inception. It felt like. Oh, a mixture of Inception and True Detective, and, uh, just like those classic '60s, probably a little bit of uh, Doctor Strangelove. Yeah. It was that, too. It was definitely a little more Kubrick. So so if you like Chris Nolan, if you like uh, Stanley Stanley Kubrick, Kubrick, if you like... uh, Weird, like, noir, like, future-y, but mm -hmm. kind of still a dark view on the world, almost looking backwards. If you don't tell your friends uh, and girlfriend that you read manga and watch anime. Yeah. And if you... Can quote at least five lines from Superbad. This is this is the show for you. Yeah, I think it really is. <laughs> Lucky for you, Kevin. My cock is located on my back. <laughs> that was I. I said that in the wrong order. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> my back is located on my dick. That didn't work. Jules. Ah. <laughs> So I actually did watch some super bad replays after, after watching this show, and it was kind of a good little thing to reminisce because that's been it, that was like ten years ago now. Yeah, ten years later, these these two actors are reunited in a TV show, um, and very very different from Super Bad. Probably the best thing I've seen both of them in in a couple years at least. I think Jonah Hill was fantastic in The Wolf of Wall Street, and I think Emma Stone was really great in La La Land. Do you think she was the best part of La La Land? Or do you think it was John Legend? Such a a dick in that movie. uh, That role did not work for him. No, that was pretty miscast. Uh, I, I think Emma Stone is great in almost everything she does, and I think she's been smart with a lot of her movie choices. And I think Jonah Hill has been pretty smart lately with uh, being just in films with fantastic directors. Bennett Miller, uh, Martin Scorsese. Uh, I, th- I just I am excited. This got me excited for both their careers, and I'm excited to see what they do in the future. I just don't think it'll be season two of Maniac. I don't think that's coming anytime soon. Sorry. That's all right. Um, I think really that's all we have to say besides just emphatically uh, you should go watch Maniac. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's a really awesome show. Uh, it's good to watch alone. If you're into that, it's definitely good to watch with someone else. If you're, uh, you know, kind of going to go along episode by episode, it's bingeable, but you can also watch it more slowly. And uh, it's really good filmmaking. It feels like it's a, like a... It feels like you're seeing a It's like a, like a six-hour movie, right? Yeah, It feels probably. like a six-hour movie. You know what didn't have a director's vision? Tell me. The Kissing Booth. Ah, we're back again. <laughs> All right, that's, that's going to do it for us. This is the Kicking Streaming Podcast. Uh, please hit us up on Twitter, at Your Fave Podcast. Uh, as you know, Gmail is Kicking and Streaming Pod. That's entirely spelled out. Kicking and Streaming Pod at gmail.com. Uh, Kevin, it was a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, dude, I think we might do a special episode. Maybe another news of the week. Coming up. All right. And then we've got... Do you want to build a snowman? The snowman. Do you want to solve a crime in Norway? Bloody eyes on a snowman. Michael Fassbender for a paycheck. movie. All right, that's going to do it for us. For Kevin Hill. The director didn't have enough time. I'm Johnny Lake. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.